In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. No Jesse Temple will be back with me next episode when we break down what happens at the launch tomorrow. Again, uh, the launch gets underway at 1 o'clock, but there are things to do before. There's the kids' fair. There's the sidewalk sale. Um, I know the weather is not going to be great, but uh, the football should be fun. Uh, and if you're not able to get down there, it will be on BTN Plus uh, live and then be re-aired on uh, BTN at 3 o'clock. So plenty of ways to watch what happens tomorrow. Live is probably the best way. Just get a little get that little football feeling going. Um, we're going to get into our Q&As in just a second, but a little, uh, I don't want to say late breaking news in terms of recruiting, but Wisconsin has uh, offered another in-state prospect in 2024, Garrett Sexton, the offensive lineman out of Arrowhead, who obviously is the same school that Derek Jensen goes to and also was uh, announced that he was his final four. Uh, and it was going to be announcing his commitment on May 1st. The final four included Penn State, Iowa, Oklahoma, and Minnesota. And the Crystal Balls uh, were at 24-7, had him going to Penn State. There was only one prediction, uh, but Steve Whitfong, the uh, the national guy, uh, had him going to uh, Penn State. With Wisconsin's offer, I imagine it's going to be tough for him to uh, pass that up. Uh, I know that... He was in at Wisconsin uh, for spring ball late last month. He visited. So this is a little bit different than the Catholic Memorial situation where they actually have continued to recruit him despite not uh, giving him an offer yet. What it means in terms of uh, the offer, you would think it would mean that uh, perhaps they feel that they may, may have missed out on somebody else that's already on their board that they already offered. I guess we don't uh, we don't know that for sure, but it, it is a very interesting offer. He is a young man that was not an offensive lineman his entire life. He was a quarterback. They moved him over to uh, offensive line as he continued to grow. He's about six seven, and he's listed at two forty five. But I know he's bigger than that at this point, and so obviously he's a guy that is. A development, his project a little bit more so than maybe some others, uh, just because he hasn't had a lot of time along the offensive line. But definitely an interesting offer. Um, Wisconsin, in terms of in-state offers, Nathan Roy out of McQuanago. Obviously, uh, Rob Booker is already committed. Derek Jensen, who's already committed. Landon Galthier, who's already committed. Those were the guys with offers to this point. Uh, Garrett Sexton now has an offer from Wisconsin. He's the fourth rated player according to the 24-7 composite rankings uh, in the state, uh, which is ahead of his teammate Derek Jensen, who's already uh, committed Gary Sexton, a four-star player, uh, the number 30 offensive tackle in the country. Again, more of a project, I think, just because of uh, having not played that position as much as maybe um, some of these other offensive linemen that you're normally seeing in recruiting. But you know what? David Edwards was a quarterback in high school and uh, came to Wisconsin as a tight end and obviously eventually moved uh, to tackle and is now playing guard or in the NFL. So it's been done before, is all I'm saying. This is, uh, they, there have been those type of players that have to they need a little more development, than, uh, but you have to project a little bit. So that's what they obviously have done with Garrett Sexton. He, he gets the offer, and we'll see if it uh, impacts his decision. Again, he was supposed to be committing on May 1st to a final list that was that's that's pretty impressive. Obviously, that includes uh, Penn State and Oklahoma, and uh, Iowa and whatever Minnesota. But 
We'll see if it changes anything for him. All right, let's get into our Q&As. Plenty of questions to get to. I'll try and get to most of them. If not, we'll throw some of them into next week, uh, next Friday, or maybe next Wednesday. We'll see. Um, but we'll start with this uh, Trader 8-Ball. Uh, it says, is Trey Wedig falling down the depth chart? Huber seems Joe Huber seems to be getting more reps. I thought Wedig struggled in pass sets last year. So the, we all know how this, if you've been paying attention to spring ball, you know this. Uh, Trey Wedig moved into the number one unit at left guard uh, when Jake Renfro went down. He moved into the left guard spot, Tanner Bordellini over to center. Uh, it stayed like that for the first two, two weeks two and a half weeks of spring ball. And then just recently, uh, Troy Wagner has been moved back to right tackle, uh, the second team right tackle, and Joe Huber has moved in to the left guard spot with the first team in addition to his work as a second team center. I think Trey Wedding is a guard. That's the thing. I, I think he is a guard more so than he is a tackle. I think uh, as most offensive linemen do, young younger guys in their career struggle with pass protection more so than when they're a little bit, uh, as they get a little bit older, they're used to, they're used to, run blocking and, and pass protection in high school compared to pass protection in college is a completely different beast with the type of skill and talent that is on the other side of the ball and the athletic ability on the other side of the ball that you don't always see in high school when when you are um, an offensive lineman. So I think the pass sets come along a little bit slower than others. That said, Jack McNell really likes Trey Wedick. Uh, he thinks he's kind of that utility guy who can play a bunch of different spots, and we've seen him play a bunch of different spots. I think he would be beneficial. it would be beneficial for him to stick in one spot and learn it and, you know, be able to lock in. But right now they have him, you know, as kind of a, a guy that can be used in a bunch of different places. Um, if it were me, I, I'd leave him at guard. I don't know if he's got the athletic ability to be a, an elite right tackle or just an elite, or not even elite, just be a, a good uh, tackle. But we'll see. Right now he uh, certainly is not part of that starting unit, and uh, we've seen him at right tackle a bunch these last two weeks or so. Jaron says uh, it could be understandably hard to gauge QB1 versus QB2 given who they've been slinging the ball against. But looking to the future, how far behind Mordecai does Locke appear to be through the first dozen practices? As a follow-up, if Mordecai never set foot on campus, would you feel confident with Locke leading the offense this season? As you put in your question there, it is hard to gauge QB1 versus QB2. I think uh, Braden Locke has a grasp of the offense which may allows him – to just go out there and play. Whereas some of the younger guys that you normally see come in have to are playing catch up. We're seeing that with Nick Evers. We're actually seeing that with Miles Burkett to an extent as well. But Brayden Locke has that advantage mentally, having played in a similar system in high school and then having played under Mike Leach last year in an air raid offense, which obviously Mike Leach is Phil Longo's was Phil Longo's mentor coming up and kind of the guy that he looked up to that that's to be expected, which is allowing him to play quickly. He knows where the ball is supposed to go. And he's able to make up for what, in my opinion, in my opinion, is maybe not the strongest arm. He does not, he, and he's not a big guy. Braden Locke is not a big guy. They say he's six foot, maybe. Um, he's, he's not a big guy. He doesn't have an overly powerful arm, but he's able to take advantage of uh, Wisconsin's second team defense because he knows where the ball is supposed to go and uh, usually puts it where it needs to be. He's a, Accuracy, I think, is something that stands out with him. How far behind is, is he than, than Tanner Mordecai? We have not seen anybody other than Tanner Mordecai take reps with the first team. Nobody. That is unheard of at Wisconsin in terms of my experience. Like, usually, Chase, so for the last few years, Chase Wolf would get reps with the first team offense at some point just to 
you know, and, and during the week it was the same way, just to get a little bit of a feel uh, in case he was uh, it was necessary. And maybe that will happen in, in fall camp, but that has not been the case whatsoever. It's been Tanner Mordecai, Tanner Mordecai, Tanner Mordecai. And Tanner Mordecai overall in spring has been better than Brain Lock. Yet Brayden Locke, these last few practices, has stood out, and Tanner Mordecai has not maybe played at the level that uh, he had been uh, at when we were talking about how consistent he was through five practices. There have been, you know, and I think part of it is, uh, part of it's drops, part of it is perhaps miscommunications on some things. His, his game on Thursday, was his uh, play on Thursday wasn't great. Uh, I'm not as down on it as some of the other people I know that wrote about it on Thursday, that it was just like just a horrible performance. There were some bad decisions. And, um, you know, I think there are people out there that hear that and they kind of have, they're still a little shell-shocked from Graham Mertz. And so anytime you say a, a quarterback's made a bad decision or made a bad throw, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, is this not the guy? And I continue to believe he is the guy. I continue to believe he's going to be a much improved, uh, a much better option for Wisconsin at quarterback than Graham Mertz was. I do believe that. It's not going to be perfect all the time. It's not, especially with a guy who is still obviously learning these receivers. They've had 12 practices together. Obviously, they had some of the offseason to work out, but they had 12 practices together. The offense is still very new for a lot of these guys, and that includes Tanner Mordecai, even though he has experience with this type of offense. It's still a work in progress. And so I'm not going to freak out. I'm not, I, I will recognize that he threw three interceptions yesterday or on Thursday. I'll recognize that. I'm, I can do that. I'm not trying to you know, prop him up, but I'm also not going to freak out about it. And I thought at, to an extent that there, there may have been a little bit of that on Twitter yesterday where, oh, my God, he had another bad practice. Just relax. Relax. Everything's okay. Everything will be all right. Braden Locke. If Tanner Mordecai had not stepped on campus, would Brayden Locke have been, would I have been comfortable with it? You're never comfortable with a, with a redshirt freshman just stepping in and being that guy. You know, I, I've made this comparison, and it's not a fair comparison because I think Brayden Locke has a much higher upside. He's got a better arm. But in terms of his knowledge of the offense and feeling comfortable, uh, it's very similar to what it was like when it was Bart Houston and Alex Hornibrook in 2016. That was an actual competition, but Alex Hornibrook was so advanced, like mentally, for a freshman, a redshirt freshman, that he knew where the ball was supposed to go and all that good stuff. Now he didn't necessarily have the arm strength to do it. It's, I'm not comparing them as quarterbacks. I'm just comparing his uh, mental ability. Alex was was fantastic in that aspect of the game. He knew where the ball was supposed to go. wasn't always able to put it where he wanted it to. But Braden Lock knows where the ball is supposed to go, and I feel like where he is in terms mentally, he's in the in the right spot. Um, and I think, you know, if, he, if Tanner Mordecai hadn't been here, Braden Locke would be the starter, and it's probably the unquestioned starter. But I would still have some questions just because we haven't seen him do it. Tanner Mordecai has done it. Uh, Braden Locke has not. But I think Braden Locke has this, uh, a bright future as Wisconsin's quarterback, perhaps going forward. Uh, Nick Evers, again, the more talented of the two, the more athletic of the two, the better arm of the two. But we know that there's a lot more that goes into quarterback than that. I mean, if it was simply about arm strength, Deacon Hill would be the starter this year at Wisconsin. Instead, he's probably somewhere down the depth chart at Iowa. Rest in peace to that take by me. But I like Brainlock. I do. He is behind Tanner Mordecai. How, how far behind? Very hard to say. But Tanner Mordecai has the experience. He's had the success. 
And, and Brainlock doesn't have either of those things, and he won't get those things until he actually gets to play. And we'll see if, uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully, and Phil Longo has said this, hopefully th- that doesn't happen this year, where he's not forced into playing, where, or I should say where he is forced into play. We, nobody wants that. If he gets to play in a blowout, great. But this is Tanner Mordecai's year, um, and so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Brendan says, considering that red zone offense has been criticism of Longo, what does the offense look like when it's close to the goal line? How are they lining up? What type of plays are they using? Are they having success against the defense? Well, just like they are throughout the entire field, they're in shotgun. We've the only we actually got some uh, snaps under center this uh, on Thursday because they're running like the two minute drill. Really, it was like a thirty second drill and where they had to spike the ball. And so they, they were able to do that. We've seen about four snaps under center the entire practice or the entire spring. So there's that. A lot, there's In terms of plays, a lot of slants, a lot, a lot of the same plays that you run on no matter what offense you are. We've seen uh, some read option. We've seen some draws. We've seen some quarterback runs. There's, there's a variety of things that they can do in the, in the red zone. But I think when it comes down to it, you're giving the ball to Braylon Allen. And I don't necessarily think North Carolina last year or the year before had that type of running back or that type of running game. In 2020, when North Carolina had those uh, two really good running backs, they were better. I mean, when you have the ability to run the ball in, in the red zone, you're going to have success. You would think most most are going to have success in the red zone. And Wisconsin, I think, is going to have success being able to, to run the ball. But teams won't be able to just to gang up on it because of the passing game. But I don't think you're seeing a whole lot of different things than you normally would from a red zone offense. It's just being done in a little bit di- different formations. Um, so, yeah. Jay says, if the Badgers run 80 offensive plays in a game, how would you split the targets based on what you've seen in practice? Well, as I said earlier this week, I think Will Pauling ends up being the leader in catches this year based on what we've seen through 12 practices. And that means a lot can change before the fall. But what we've seen, they love the slot. They love throwing to the slot. It's an easy, it's an easy, easy spot to hit, to be fair, to be honest, um, especially with some of the option. And so, yeah, uh, it's, an e- it's the closest guy to the, to the quarterback. They're easy throws, easy-ish throws. And he's a dynamic talent. So I think uh, he's going to end up with the most targets. I don't know about splitting them up. I, I think Braylon Allen, uh, I was asked, you know, over under 1,050 yards. That was another question here. I, uh, I'll answer it here. I think he's over uh, 1,050 yards for sure. I think he takes probably 65 to 70% of the carries between, you know, when it's between him and Ches Malusi, and, and Ches will get the other 30%. Um, that's. That might be a little high, maybe at 65-35. But Braylon, if healthy, is going to get the ball a ton. Uh, whether it's, I personally think it's going to be mostly in the run game, but certainly a part of the this passing game is getting the ball in the back's hands. And we, we know Braylon has that ability. I think Chez is a little bit more comfortable in the passing game, but both of them are going to have their chances. In terms of targets for the wide receivers, I don't percentage-wise, it's so tough. Percentage-wise, it's extremely difficult. But um, I think Will Pauling would be number one, and Chimray DK would be number two. And then I think it's a mix of def- different guys. Right now, C.J. Williams is running with the team, with the first team. But Skyler Bell in the slot is going to be a favorite target, I think. And Keontes Lewis on some deep balls is going to be a, a target. We haven't even seen Bryson Green. So when you ask 80 plays, like, how would you break down the targets? Oof, it's it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. I would say if 
if it's Wisconsin, if they want, if this is how Phil Lago is approaching it, he's going to take what, what you're giving him, but kind of wants to be 50-50. So 40 of those would be runs and 40 of those would be passes. Um, I, it's just kind of crazy to even think about 80 plays in a game being run by Wisconsin. But, you know, I'd, I'd say maybe 22 runs for, for Braylon, another 15, you know, 12 to 15 for Chez, and then whether it's Jackson Aker or Katie Akamelli or somebody else in the backfield, or maybe it's quarterback runs that take up the other runs. And then Will Pauling, I'm thinking you're getting him eight to nine targets uh, a game. I'm thinking you're getting Chim Ray DK right around that same number. And then I think the other ones are spread between, Ch- uh, you know, CJ Williams and Skyler Bell and Keontas Lewis and Bryson Green. And then also you have to factor in the tight end. Right now, Jack Pugh, I think, would be that guy out there. But when Clay Cundiff comes back, what does he look like in this scheme? It's it's difficult to just sit here and break it down target-wise, but Braylon's going to get his. Chez is going to get his. Well, Pauling is going to get his. Chimray DK is going to get his. And then I think the other guys, it's going to rotate on a on a game-by-game basis. Again, I wouldn't put... I. I I think the guy that we have forgotten about a little bit just because of his injuries um, is Clay Cundiff, but also Bryson Green. What Bryson Green did at Oklahoma State, you would think he'd be able to uh, to have a, a significant role here. I don't know, but like a big role here as well. Um, it's a good question, though. It's a, it's a very good question. Um, Badger Beatdown says the Badgers offense will average over 35 points per game this season. So the school record for uh, points per game in a season is 44.1 that done by Russell Wilson in the 2011 team the second team the second best is 41 and a half points per game that done in 2010 with Scott Tolzien in that group no other Badger offense has ever scored more than 34.8 points per game that uh, being in 2013 they went 34.8 and 34.6 in 2013 and 2014 um so that's the type of offense that you're trying to get above. It's still shocking that they were able to put up 34.6 points per game in 2014 with absolutely zero passing game. Um, but, hey, when you have a running back that runs for 2,500 yards and should have been the Heisman Trophy winner, I guess that shouldn't be a huge surprise. The Paul Christ era, the most that they ever they, they ever averaged was, was 34.1, that in 2019. 2017, they were at 33.8. I am going to say they average over 35 points a game. I don't know if they get to the 40s, but I think they average over 35 points a game. You can't be running this many plays and uh, having this type of offense without putting up the actual points that go along with it. I mean, if you go and look at what Phil Longo did at North Carolina, he was at 34.4 last year. He was at 35.2 the year before. In 2020, North Carolina averaged 41.7. And in 2019, his first year uh, at North Carolina, they were at 33.1. So, I mean, the, the lowest they were ever at was at 33.1. I, uh, I think, I think Wisconsin's over that. I do, uh, especially you look at the schedule, and who are the tough defenses that Wisconsin's going to play? Right? Like, I mean, maybe Washington State. They gave Wisconsin uh, some troubles last year in pass protection. Um, certainly, Iowa is going to put together. Uh, another good defense. We'll see what Illinois does. We know that their defense last year was was pretty good, especially you know early in the season. And then Ohio State, obviously. Um, but 
who are the other defenses that are going to stand out and jump out and be like, yeah, the, I don't see Wisconsin trying to be moving the ball against these guys. I don't, I don't know if there is a defense out there that you would you would be truly truly worried about other than the ones I mentioned. So I think that yeah, they're going to be able to put up some points. Really, the, the question is how many points are they going to give up, and uh, that one is a little bit more difficult. And I'm thankfully I wasn't asked about that. So, uh, but do they average over 35 points a game? I say yes. Uh, John Hermanson says, thoughts on running back depth. Uh, sounds like a walk-on and a converted fullback could be in line to get significant carries this year. How did we get here at a program that calls it RBU? Well, let's be, let's be fair about it here. They have recruited running backs that uh, haven't either panned out, were kicked off the team, or transferred elsewhere. I mean, you think about Jalen Berger, kicked off the team. Think about the two true freshmen kicked off the team prior to the 2021 season. You think about Nikia Watson, a guy who had some success in 2020, you know, didn't get as many opportunities as he wanted in 2021, and so he was gone. So they've had some guys come in and guys leave. But when you look at the top two, you could make an argument that's the best one-two combination. It's one of the best one-two combinations in the Big Ten and perhaps even the country with Ches Malusi and, and Braylon Allen. And it's hard to get guys to come and, and sit behind that. It just is. So Jackson Aker was a running back in high school. I believe that's the full, you know the uh, converted fullback that you're referring. I, I look at I don't look at Jackson Aker as a fullback. He was he he was moved to fullback, but he is he was a really good running back in high school, and I think he can be of value to them. Cade Yacomelli is another guy who played running back in high school and is on scholarship. I think it's been a little bit of a, a tough transition. He's been a little banged up this spring. So it has allowed Grover Bordelotti, who is a walk-on, get some, getting some time with the second team. I don't envision him getting significant carries this year. That was the question. In line to get significant carries this year. I don't see that. You know, maybe if injuries pop up, which obviously with Chez and Braylon has been an issue, maybe that ends up being the case. But um, I think Jackson Aker ends up being running back three. I think Katie Acamilli figures it out. He ends up being four. And then you have Grove Bordelotti and, and a, a true freshman coming in this this fall in uh, Nate White. So here's the thing. They've recruited well, but those guys haven't worked out. Julius Davis was a three-slash-four-star type of running back. Jalen Berger was a four-star running back. Nikhil Watson was a three-slash-four-star running back. The two guys that ended up getting kicked off were three you know, high three-star running backs. Obviously, star-wise, they recruited well. The guys didn't work out. That's kind of where how you get into the position they're in. But running back is a spot that I could see them. I could see them looking at the transfer portal for just to add another body in there. But because of the top two, it's it's hard to look down and be like, gosh, they're in such a in a bad spot. They're not, in my opinion. They're not. So with the Julius Davis question gone, like where is he? Why isn't he playing? Everything like that. Now it's Marcus Allen. Uh, Frank asked about Marcus Allen. He says, does Marcus Allen get any reps? He uh, apparently has been banged up. He's been dressed, but he hasn't really been taking part in anything uh, the last few last couple practices. He has been the third number three slot wide receiver uh, throughout uh, spring. Uh, to the point where they moved Vinny Anthony outside because Vinny Anthony was the fourth guy and he wasn't getting on the field. Marcus Allen does not lack for talent. He's got a plenty of talent. It's just it doesn't always it, it feels like it's not he's not always there. Sometimes he'll you know with the drops with, with the the route issues sometimes not running with the route that he was supposed to run. Those are things that stand out. And you know when you have a guy that 
I don't know how everybody feels about this, but a guy who quit on you last year in the middle of last season goes to the portal, commits to your biggest rival, and then comes back, you need to show a little bit more than just the average player. You have to be above and beyond what some of the other guys are doing. And he, he hasn't really um, been that. But, I mean, it just, it just hasn't been, I don't think, great. So is he getting reps? Not really. Dean, uh, he also asks, is Dean Ingram or uh, Chase Wolf landed anywhere yet? No. I imagine it, Dean Ingram's going to find a place. I don't have any doubt about that. Chase Wolf, I think, may just be – I guess we'll see. I guess if he wants to keep on playing, he wants to keep on playing. I think he's got a plan after football that he wants to also work on, which is kind of the reason why he was going to come back to Wisconsin because he got into the, this program at Wisconsin. And um, I don't really know what his what his future plans um, are going to be. Um Adam says, what happens between now and fall camp? Just conditioning? Do they still scrimmage-type practice but no media, or do they just completely shut down activities until then? So they'll get much of the month of May off, and then when they come back in early June, at least this is how it has been, they'll start summer workouts. And it'll be very similar to winter workouts uh, where you're you're with the strength staff a lot and you're doing a lot of that type of stuff. So a lot of the stuff that we saw on social media and uh, so they'll go through summer workouts like that. And then also, you know, they'll, they'll have the ability to there, – there's a time to work with coaches on the field. There's, I think – I want to say it's like 10 hours a week during the summer. Um, that number may be wrong, but they do get an opportunity to work with coaches. Um, it might not be on the field. It might be in the film room. It was a change, I want to say, maybe five or six years ago where they – before there could be no contact whatsoever. And now uh, I believe there is uh, some contact allowed. Um, but yeah, then they'll throw together just kind of like they did during the spring. It's essentially just a second winter conditioning period. Much of the stuff that happens then happens also in the summer as well. And he says, as a follow-up, do you do players do things on their own during the summer, go to camps off campus to keep their skills up? Yes. I don't wouldn't call them camps, though. Uh, they go to, to workout places. We've seen it. We saw it last, must, was it last summer or the year before? Must have been last summer. Uh, Braylon Allen went up, went down to, to, to Florida and was working out. So yeah, they, they, they find ways and places to improve their skill. Usually it's, it's working out with NFL type guys. Nick Herbig, uh, would go to, uh, this barn where his brother and, uh, Lane Johnson of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, where they would work out at this barn during off season, uh, periods. So it never ends like, yeah. And I, and I guarantee you the month of May is essentially off for them. I can guarantee you you're going to see a ton of videos of guys working out. It's almost a year-round thing now. It just is. Like, you, you might get a week or two to take time off, but for the most part, guys are locked in uh, year-round. And, uh, there, I mean, obviously there's a reason for that because college football is that big business now. Um, Andy was the one that asked about uh, Braylon Allen and over under 1,050 yards rushing, and I went over on that. Then he says, more cumulative receiving yards, the tight ends or the running backs? That's a very good question. I'm going running backs. I'm going running backs. I think while the tight ends, I don't know if they have a dynamic tight end, right? We think Jack Pugh's got some ability. We think Clay Cundiff has some ability. You know, we'll see where Jack Eschenbach, where, where his role is. And, you know, a guy like Riley Nowakowski, who's played a bunch this, this spring with the first team, I assume some of that is injury-wise, but I think he's actually shown uh, some ability as well, like another converted fullback slash converted uh, linebacker. Oh, I'm going to go running back. I'm going to go running back. I, the, the, what we've seen in spring here, the tight end will be involved, but so will the running backs uh, in the passing game. So 
yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm going running back with that one. Uh, Sam asks, uh, who has a better chance of Heisman run with this offense, Tanner Mordecai or Braylon Allen? I'm going Tanner Mordecai. I'm going Tanner Mordecai. Uh, you, you look at the, what the quarterbacks have done at North Carolina, all of them over 3,000 yards passing. Um, some of them have the ability to to run, and that's what Tanner brings as well. Braylon's going to get, as I said, Braylon Allen's going to get a lot of carries. I think he's going to average, you know, close to, if it was me, be over 20 yard, twenty carries per game, but I think you also want to keep him fresh. So probably 18, 19 carries a game, and uh, we'll have the ball in his hands in a bunch of different ways. And hopefully you keep him fresh so that you have him towards the end of the season, which you've kind of been without at the end of the last two seasons. But yeah, Tanner Mordecai, this is an offense for quarterbacks. This is a great offense for quarterbacks, and he's going to have, if healthy, I think he's going to have a huge year, and he's a guy that could potentially, potentially challenge some of the records that Russell Wilson set in terms of yards and in terms of touchdowns. Um, Those numbers aren't that far out there for a guy running this type of offense. Pete says, who will be more important, TJ Bowlers or Daryl Peterson? It's a very tough question. Um, because right now, Boulders is not a starter. Uh, C.J. Getz is the guy that they have playing when they go to that dollar package, that that extra uh, outside linebacker, the outside linebacker that's lining up on the line of scrimmage next to the two defensive linemen, uh, essentially, a, essentially a third defensive lineman. He's the first-team guy right now, but I think T.J. Bowlers could, could end up being a better fit there than C.J. Getz, just based on size alone. And strength. Now, CJ Getz plays the run great. Is there probably their best outside linebacker playing the run? But TJ Bowler, size wise, would probably match up better in that role than uh, than CJ Getz at this point. That said, Daryl Peterson has a chance to be their leading sacker off the edge. He is. I think he's their. I think he's their best pass rusher from at the outside linebacker spot. How many opportunities he gets remains to be seen because he. Uh, is usually only going to be in there if they go with their 2-4-5, where it's two defensive linemen, four linebackers, including two on the outside, and then the five defensive backs, which is what their essentially their base defense has been the last few years because they play so much sub-package defense. You don't really see the 3-4 or didn't see the 3-4 nearly as much as uh, you would think you would if that was your base defense, or you think you do when that's your base defense. But no, they... Played a ton of two four five, and that's when I think Daryl Peterson will have a chance to get after the quarterback. Um, I think he's the again as as I said, I think he's their best pass rusher. So uh, that's a tough question. I'm going to go with Daryl Peterson though. Uh, they're going to go Daryl Peterson because they need a guy to step up off the edge and uh, have a chance to replace Nick Herbig as their as a premier pass rusher off the edge. And to me, that's Daryl Peterson. Uh, he did it at high school at a high level. And it was kind of down the stretch last year. We kind of started to see uh, that come to fruition a little bit at the college level. It wasn't where it needed to be all the entire year, but towards the end of the year, it felt like he started to, to figure things out. South Jersey Pete says, uh, I'm trying to get a sense of quality of wide receiver. Where would Danny Davis be on this depth chart? Danny Davis played uh, or got, got a sniff of the NFL. I think Danny would be in the, in the 2D. I don't know exactly where in the 2DP would be. But Danny was a good player. He he's not he was not a great athlete in terms of speed-wise, right? That that wasn't really his game. But he's got really good hands and he can jump. Those were two things that made him a talented player. So, I think he he'd be I think he'd be in the 2D in this group. I think he would. 
I think uh, I think Chimray is better than him. I know some people may not agree with that. I think Will Pauling in his role is, is better than him. I think C.J. Williams could be better than Danny. Like physically, you know, Danny's not going to you know shock people speed wise, but he he could run routes and he would catch the ball. And what what more really could you ask from a Wisconsin wide receiver? So he would be he would be in the two deep. He would be in the two deep for sure. Um, all right, now I'll finish uh, with these. Last couple of questions uh, from Beers and Taco. When is the new indoor facility going to break ground? The exact date for that, I'm not positive on. However, the Shell, which has been on the east side of the stadium since the 1950s. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have been there uh, during their time at Wisconsin. That, uh, that building is coming down. I believe it officially closed, or its last day was on Wednesday, and uh, so that is being demolished to make way for uh, that new indoor facility that uh, is badly needed at Wisconsin. Badly, badly needed. Um, we've talked about it on here. You can't do punting inside the McLean Center because the ceiling isn't high enough. You don't have a full 100-yard field in the McLean Center. Uh, this new facility is going to take care of all of that, um, it's going to be, a, I think, a huge thing for recruiting, um, though obviously NIL will continue to be at the top of uh, everybody's list in terms of what's important along with, obviously, the football aspect of it. But uh, facilities are uh, another huge selling point, and Wisconsin's behind right now, and that new facility is going to be huge uh, for them. Uh, he also says, uh, what are your expectations for year one? I think we've kind of uh, hit on these before, but I expect Wisconsin to compete for the Big Ten West. I think ten and two is a possibility at worst. I think nine and three, just based on the schedule. But ten and two, win the Big Ten West and compete for a Big Ten championship. That's what uh, Chris McIntosh hired Luke Fickle to do: compete for Big Ten championships, which then allow you to compete for national championships. And I think uh, there may be a little uh, some some growing pains, but the talent on this team was always projected to be like this. Twenty twenty three was the year that. Uh, they were expected to make another run, uh, something similar to 2017. And they have that type of talent on this team still. And with these new systems uh, and a schedule that uh, is favorable, I think 10-2 and two is uh, realistic and, and maybe something better than that uh, ends up happening. But those are my expectations for year one. I'm sure there will be growing pains, but at the end of it, 10-2. and two. And uh, is Joel Stabi a top three Badger quarterback of all time? I, I don't know the answer. Everyone has their own opinion. The only thing I know about Joel Stave is he's the all-time winningest quarterback in Wisconsin history. And you play the game to win games, right? Joel Stave won more than anybody else. We'll end on that. All right. Coming up on Saturday, the launch. We'll be back afterwards uh, to give our takes on what we saw. I'm sure everyone's going to have their own opinions on what uh, they've seen, and I can't wait to see that because uh, we've been – through 12 practices, uh, you've having to rely on our eyes, and now you get to, to see a little bit of it on your own. And uh, I hope some of it matches up. I'm sure m much of it won't. Uh, but we'll be back on uh, Sunday, breaking it down, and then episode probably posting late Sunday night or early Monday morning. Until then, you've been listening to The Camp.